You're listening to the Painted Goddess Podcast with Jennifer Hrishu. This is episode number 83. Well, hello, witches. Super excited to be here today. It is, as I'm recording this, the 21st of December, and I've been spending basically the entire morning in meditation and in my heart. I have been collecting uh, messages as well as listening to the wisdom of others who are also collecting wisdom and messages. My dear friends, Marilyn, High Priestess, as well as my dear friend Suzette West of Wild Hearts Rising, both offered initiative meditations, and I'm feeling very alight. And as Marilyn put it, my chakras have been exploded with white light. Um, And all of this would have seemed pretty fucking hokey to me about six years ago. (laughs) So I want to talk today about resistance. I want to talk about the resistance that we embody and how that might pro- pro- like project itself into our minds, into our lives, what that looks like. And then I also, I pulled some cards for today and I wanted to share their messages with you all. I feel like it was um, a collective reading and I wanted to basically share the wisdom of the artists who who made these cards their words and then offer a synergistic reading an intuitive reading of them together so there we have it so let's start by just prefacing this is a huge day for so many of us who've watched this conjunction coming into exact perfection today at 10 21 on the 21st Saturn and Jupiter were conjunct at zero degrees in some minutes 29 minutes together I can't remember the minutes the important part is that this whole year has been a year of conjunction Saturn and Jupiter have been dancing through Capricorn, each having their own retrograde, each having meetings with Pluto, you know, Pluto, who is the Lord, you know, the Lord of the underworld, and meeting up with Pallas Athena, who's, um, who is uh, the daughter of Jupiter, and um, the granddaughter of, of Saturn. So there's this sense that we've had 
this familial, you know, and Pluto's the brother, right? So Pallas's uncle. We've had this kind of family of sorts, you know, trudging through Capricorn. And as Saturn and Jupiter left Capricorn this last week, um, each in their own turn, there's this sense that of uplifting. Now, Saturn's been in Capricorn for three years since 2017. And at that time, we had welcomed in, in the United States, some welcomed, some cried all day like myself, um, a president into the White House, which did not hold a truth for all of us. Now, this isn't the first time that this has happened. In fact, it's happening again. And this is why, among other things, resistance can be a barrier to wholeness and evolution. And I'm not saying that you have to accept everything that comes into the field and say, how, you know, this is, oh, this is great, fantastic. But I will say that through these last four years, I've learned a great deal about my capacity for compassion, about my passion for the, you know, holistic future of our society on this planet. It's ignited something in me that I don't think could have been done during a copacetic kind of leadership situation. And if you've got a boss or a family member or someone who is in some sort of authority over you, some kind of power over, I want you to pay attention to your thoughts around that person. It may be the president. You might believe that they are very powerful and they do have power. But when we resist our own power, there's something that comes into play where we, you know, we don't have access to, to something that we give away, right? So when we give our power to others and and allow that to dictate how we kind of show up in the world, then what we end up doing is feeding that field. As my, my friend Suzette was using this terminology, and I think it's heart math terminology, but, you know, talking about feeding this field, feeding whatever, you know, whatever you feed is what grows and is nourished. And so not to say that you have to keep... You know, it's, it's, it's more complicated than that secret they told you where, you know, like attracts like and, you know, your vibe attracts your tribe and all these kinds of ways that the New Age community attempts to describe quantum physics, you know, basically. But when we talk about frequency and the frequency of resistance or the even reality of resistance... Resistance is material space, and Capricorn represents material manifested space. It represents solid matter. It represents that which is structured and solid. 
there wouldn't be anything to actually resist against if it weren't real and solid, right? Our muscles even, excuse me, our muscles even, the way they get stronger is by introducing resistance to them. And this isn't also to say that trauma or um, shitty things are, you know, have to happen for you in order to... Um, to grow, to evolve, right? This isn't saying that those who have abused um, others, right? When I'm looking at systems like capitalism that has taken serious advantage from day one of most black and brown people, of anyone who's disenfranchised from the elite, anyone who hadn't had access to higher education, old money, leisure time. Leisure time is a luxury that people afford. I afford it. It's one of the privileges that I have. It's even a privilege I have as a mother of older children who are not in bodily danger if I just let them be to their own devices. So we all have a relationship to um, our ability to our our access to privilege is is highly complex and no matter who you are on this planet if you're alive at this time you have access to some kind of privilege well you may have to trade what you're unwilling to trade for it and in fact, I'd like to argue that most of us have. I'm reminded of and was listening to the other day, the song by Pink Floyd, Wish You Were Here. And I want to actually read to you the lyrics of this song. And... This is an inspiration, so I just... And I know this song, but I want to make sure I get the words right. Like, I could belt it out, but I'll save you that. Um, maybe we should do uh, <laughs> some, some quarantine karaoke. It's a very simple song, and I think it's a very powerful message. And I'll read it a little poetically, but I'm not going to sing it. Here we are. So, so you think you can tell heaven from hell, blue skies from pain. Can you tell a green field from a cold steel rail, a smile from a veil? Do you think you can tell? And did they get you to trade your heroes for gold? It's actually ghosts. I always think it was gold. Did they get you to trade your heroes for ghosts, hot ashes for trees, hot air for a cool breeze, cold comfort for change? And did you exchange a walk-on part in the war for a lead role in a cage? How I wish how I wish you were here. We're just two lost souls swimming in a fishbowl 
year after year, running over the same old ground, what have we found? The same old fears. Wish you were here. Um, this song makes me cry nearly every time I hear it. And it's because there's a part of me that did trade a walk-on part in the war for a lead role in a cage for much of my midlife. I'm reclaiming my time. I'm reclaiming my life. I'm reclaiming the way that I make money and add value into the world. And yet, it, and it may never feel like enough, and that's okay. The resistance of feeling like enough has served me. I get up every morning searching to be enough. And yes, I take breaks. And yes, I fucking love myself. And no, I'm not in any way abusing myself by shifting into have I done enough today to my standard so one of the ways that I've unlearned this like colonize this power over this external gaze you know because I was taught that I wasn't enough in subtle and very intense ways just as probably many of you were and I know that one of the things running in circles these days, and certainly I've grappled with this, is to eschew that sense that I'm not enough and that I must do something or be something other than who I am in order to be enough, which I have dismantled and unpacked that quite a, a few times as I've grown older and, and, and embraced my enoughness and worked with my little self and remembered how enough she was at the time and even now. But to have this sense that I get to define what is enough is powerful. And I recognize now as this solstice is, you know, emerging the longest night for me to wake up to my own beauty and authenticity is somewhat of a surreal space. I'm not sure that I will ever fully deprogram myself from having these secondary or primary thoughts sometimes that judge myself, that think I'm doing it wrong, that I'm an imposter, that I'm not enough, or that I'm too much. I may never get rid of those voices fully, but what I recognized over the last couple of days of doing some shadow work, working with myself as a survivor of the patriarchy, is that I've learned to be more human, not less. I've learned to be more empathetic, not less. I've learned to see others more clearly, not less. 
I felt more intimate with others, not more fearful. And while it seems as though the they would like that to be the case, that I would be afraid and that I would shrink and that I would police others to shrink too. That has almost never been the case in my life. But now I claim it. I claim that I'm here. I'm here to explode. <laughs> I'm here to get bigger, expand. And I'm here to delight in the expansiveness of others. I'm here to find joy in the collective power of all of us who are standing in our power and taking back what was actually always ours. We literally handed them the keys to that castle. And it was coming from that fear, that programming. But I think we are waking up. And it's almost as if we just realize, it's like in Alice in Wonderland, where the door keeps suggesting, oh, you mean that key up there? Oh, you mean try the box? And things just appear as you call them into the space. And while that moment was very frustrating for her because she was not in the power place, I think that we are. I think that we are. And we can speak that into truth every single time we feel the slight jab of being disempowered or talked down to or dismissed. Because this new world that we're birthing has new legs. And as Suzette aptly described it, it's this new full. We're going to wobble a bit. We have to strengthen our legs. We have to push up off of the ground and start walking. And we have to build those muscles over and over. And the good news is, is we have already started. Movements like Black Lives Matter, the Me Too movement, Indigenous People Day, re-establishing... Re um, and an understanding or at least a knowing of the occupied land we build our houses on, that we occupy, that I'm occupying Duwamish land as I record this podcast, that knowing, that honoring, it means something. Those pitter-pattering feet were my daughter. Um, so, all of this to say that it's yours. And it's about reclamation. Reclaiming it. And I am here to help how I can by feeding that field with encouragement and love. And I hope that that helps you to see your power. Okay. So I've pulled 
several cards from a couple of different decks. Actually, four decks. One, two, three, four. Yeah. The first card I want to offer and share with you for the collective is actually a very special um, run. I, I received these cards from April McMurtry, the founder, the co-founder of The Moon Is My Calendar, and a woman who, um, Letitia Cassano, I hope I'm saying that correctly, created these cards. You can follow her on Instagram. And Letitia is a medicine woman. She's a, you know, she cycles with the earth and has so many gifts to share. She's been creating this. And I, I guess I say I, she, I receive her as a medicine woman. I don't know what she titles herself. So I, um, um, I apologize for that if it feels off. Um, but she offers these cards, which are definitely medicine. And um, I pulled one. They're round cards. They're beautiful. And if you'd like to see a picture of my altar and these cards together, um, you can go to my Instagram at Painted Goddess. Um, this card, this it's a round card. There's an elephant. It's very green. There's a face hidden behind um, plants. You can see a coastline. It seems like it's one of those very green topographical maps. And there are seed wheat kind of shafts coming out of the ground. And it looks as though the elephant is carrying something in its mouth. Perhaps a man sitting cross-legged with its head in its mouth. That's what it looks like to me. And the back of these cards are blue. They have very simple, um, for, you know, kind of prayers on them. And this is what this one says. It says, universal laws. Are you scared yet? You should be. You are going to know your place. I will take back what's mine and compost you. You will know my power. No one will be allowed to abuse or violate me anymore. I am not scared of my own darkness. I hold the power over myself. I demand justice. Universal laws. So this is, you know, it begins with, are you scared yet? And, and then you recognize who, who this voice is speaking to. And I imagine it speaking to anything that goes against the universal law of this truth that we are sovereign unto ourselves and that we're also a collective body, right? And we must continue to advocate for the collective care, the universal law of the land. And I love this. I will take back what's mine and compost you. Yes. So thank you for that beautiful prose, um, Letitia. Okay. I also pulled a card from the one of my favorite decks, the Archetypes deck by um, the Wild Unknowns, Kim Kranz. 
I pulled the card, the prayer, and I'll read to you the, again, I'll read to you the, um, the words of the author, maker. The worship, the reverence, the homage. What is prayer? When are we in a state of prayer and when are we not? To whom or what do we pray? Archetypically, the practice of prayer has been with us since the dawn of time as a remedy for the omnipresent self-centered thinking that spins us toward illusion. Prayer leads us beyond our ego as we move from our little story to the big one. Some say we are all in a state of prayer anytime we are not, sent, not the center of our own thoughts. Others say prayer is a natural result of gratitude. Perhaps it is simply surrender or service. Whatever prayer is for you, this card reminds us of its importance. Get quiet, low, humble, and soft. Get quiet, low, humble, and soft. Bow and touch the ground as your heart lifts to the sky. Though it may be uncomfortable, it is time. Nothing else will do. When light, offering to be of service, asking for guidance. When dark, expecting results, self-aggrandizement. To go deeper, ask to be of service. And it's interesting because right before this, I was speaking to Suzette. She had asked a question about Zoom. We were doing, you know, she was doing her um, group meditation and offering to the initiation of the Age of Aquarius. It's beautiful. She recorded it. it may be available. I'm not sure if she's going to make it available or not. But she, uh, and I asked if I could do anything for her. Without having read this first, I had pulled this card for the morning thinking, oh, yeah, this was my morning practice for yoga. And, you know, I so just now reading this to go deeper, asking to be of service. How can I help? Of course, taking care of yourself first. And maybe you need to ask yourself that question when challenging emotions come up, when that resistance comes up. And that resistance is important. Right? We can't just cast it away and say resistance is futile. Right? Resistance is what we push against. It's how we know that we are growing, that we become stronger in the face of resistance. And how can we, I love this, get quiet, low, humble, and soft? Because when you think about the way a seed pushes through the resistance of the soil. Not just to the, you know, it's at the certain time of year when the soil gets softer. But the seed moves in this undulating way and bursts through due to that persistent kind of undulation. And it is a contraction and expansion and, it, you know, it has this momentum of it. And this is us. This is who we are in this world, in this universe, in the cosmos. We are this undulating force of expansion and retraction. And that is what 
Jupiter and Saturn represent together. Yeah, Rick Levine, I was listening to his conjunct his December forecast on YouTube. And um, you know, Rick Levine is this old school, amazing astrologer. He's been around for 30 years as a professional astrologer in this in Seattle area. Syndicated, you know, horoscopes, all this stuff. Anyways, you know, big deal for me, like to to see him online. And then he started liking my things and he was like and I would love, you know, maybe he'll come on my podcast. So you should share this podcast with Rick Levine. But I was watching his um, forecast for December and he, he, res he, he basically was saying, you know, like, um, or this is how I received it. He talked about Jupiter and Saturn being the peristalsis of, of the universe. And which is, of course, you know, the undulation movement of sphincters, which allows poop to come out, right? So it's like, this is the cosmos pooping us into evolution, you know? It's like, you have to go through the canal. Um, it's the birth canal, too. And I think this is one of the ways that we can approach these times where, when we feel constricted, can we soften? Right? Because just like a birth, if you just absolutely push, or even when you're pooping, if you just push too hard, you'll break a blood vessel. <laughs> like You have to get soft, bear down, right? Connect to that power, that root source of power. So I love that. And, and how do I be of service? How can I help? And again, you may be asking this of people in your life or even of parts of yourself that need help coming out into the light, how out coming out of the darkness, right? We might have so many parts of ourselves that are being called now to the surface. And some of them need to be coaxed into the light and actually are a little sensitive to the light. So we might have to turn down the light a little bit and speak a little softer as we remind them of how to show up, right? Um, <laughs> and some things, you know, we just crack the shutters open and, and explode into light, right? That's what Jupiter would prefer. Saturn is a little um, less less um, like that. And as the, you know, the sun moved into Capricorn today, this week, um, side notes for the prayer. Every song, kiss, breath, word can become a prayer. It is a feeling, not an action. Consider the ancient mantra, Ong Namo Guru Dev Namo. I bow to the creative con consciousness within. I bow to the teacher within. So that is, um, that's a Kundalini Yoga mantra. Experiment with the act of bowing down. Nearly all spiritual traditions make a practice of prostration. I hadn't thought of that. So, um, yeah, to bow down. To bow down. And then, of course, you know, to, to rise. There's this, that's that expansion and contraction. Um, in, in yoga, excuse me, I just like needed to stretch all of a sudden in yoga practice we do this we go from mountain pose 
you know, and end in child's pose and, and do poses along the way, right? We, we are in the act of opening and, um, and closing, right? This, this reflexive opening and closing restriction expansion. It is what creates strength. So to see resistance and to work with it, um, you know, and to subtly kind of coax it into, um, into shifting is, is a really beautiful, I think in this moment, okay, is a really beautiful way to work with any resistance that I'm needing right now. Let's just soften and ask what it needs. Ask how I can be of service to it. Certainly tough emotions. Um, one of the ways to feel them all the way through is to be of service to them, to serve them. And that doesn't necessarily mean to act out, um, but it does mean to acknowledge and, and, and find a way of bringing that to the table. And in fact, another a beautiful friend of mine did a, um, an offering last night where we conjured you know, a shadow part of ourself and, and invited them to eat with us. And I won't share the details of mine. It ended up being a very personal kind of thing, which you might think, wow, she's got a line. <laughs> so, I mean, that work for me is still kind of simmering, so I'll hold it for myself. But to offer a place at the table for the parts of ourselves that we have cast away or if we are ju in judgment of others you know allowing ourselves to invite them to the table and serving them food serving them something to nourish them and and even if it's i understand there are people things places constructs certainly that are harmful and toxic and why would you take them to the table and feed them and I'll leave that to you to consider and ponder of what would be the possible uh, benefit of doing so um, okay the wheel I pulled the wheel you guys so this morning as I was again getting on to another call <clears throat> um, to meditate with my sisters, I pulled the wheel. And of course I did. The wheel that I pulled was from the Lightseer Tarot by Chris Ann. This depiction of the wheel I find just gorgeous. There's white light coming from her right hand, which is the, um, the hand that gives energy. And then from her left hand, there is black um, kind of lines coming. And this is the side, your left side is what you receive from. She's got um, big dice kind of around her neck. Um, this homage to, you know, rolling the dice, taking a risk. She's in a tree pose with open uh, shoulders looking up to the sky you know, this heart open willingness to go, go to the next level. The wheel represents in, you know, traditional means 
just that things are changing, that the, the turning of the wheel is truly happening. And so to pull this card felt like, thank you. You know, I don't use the Lightseer Tarot. I have so many decks. I don't use them. It's super often. I can't say I've pulled this card more than one other time. And I'm not even sure that I have pulled it, but I'm just saying I can't, I guess I can't say that I have. I feel like I'm, feel like I may have pulled it one other time for a client or something. So for this card to show up at this perfect time, I was very, I was like, I, you know, surprised and not surprised and just grateful. But I want to read to you what Chrisanne writes in her book for the Lightseer Tarot, which is really beautiful. So in this book, she has just like, um, Kim Kranz wrote shadow and light when, when shadow, when light, Chrisanne writes light seer, shadow seer, um, light seer changes, fate, destiny, a lucky break, cycling up through karmic lessons, the chaos of creation, a turning point, serendipity, shadow seer, misfortune, karma, a need to relinquish control, the ups and downs of life, the inevitability of change, an unexpected setback. It says, get ready, sweet soul, for the wheel is about to gift you divine blessings. Synchronicity is afoot, so look for wonderful new opportunities to propel your life ahead. Be prepared for fortuitous meetings or a fork in the path that will change everything for the better. If you're open to spotting opportunity, it's yours for the taking. Just follow the breadcrumbs of serendipity and fate toward your happy ending. Remember that the wheel is always spinning and that it and that things are never the same as they were before. Learn to enjoy this constant regeneration and know that with every spin, we have the chance to cycle upward toward our own expansion and enlightenment. Trying to control the outcome, the wheel of fortune would prove to be impossible, so don't. Grab your lucky dice and see the spinning of the wheel for what it really is. All the beauty of a lifetime of experiences waiting to spring forth and be lived. And then she has an affirmation. I allow the transformative energies of fate help me to expand my experience. So this card is literally describing both aspects of Saturn, which is karmic lessons, um, rebuilding foundational structures at a higher level, talking about um, the, the turning of time, right? That nothing stays the same, that everything changes. Is also, I mean, we would think this system, it's evolutionary. We actually can't change the system. I think it's interesting that, let's just go on this little rabbit hole where I just saw the corner of my eye. <laughs> the, the archetype of Capricorn, which is ruled by Saturn. Saturn is the Lord of time, Kronos. Very set in his way, law and order, 
He ate his children. He did not want them to succeed him. He did not want them to have power over him in his old age, and he ate them. <laughs> There's this sense that that failed overall. He ended up having living children because the, you know, uh, the mythos says that his wife fed him a rock instead and, and he, uh, um, you know, let Jupiter, they, they let Jupiter live. There's, I, so this resistance to change that is really a part of that Saturnian um, archetype kind of gets blown out of the water when you recognize that time itself moves and changes things and ages things, matures things. When you start making decisions as an older person, if you are making decisions from the same set of tools that you did when you were five, your life may not reach its capacity. When we decide that we are adults and need to make adult decisions, we often underestimate our ability to evolve and to continue to shift. Capricorn itself and Saturn to some degree represent also this calcification. Capricorn and Saturn rule the bones of the body, which is the foundational structure of our fleshy meat bag. <laughs> and so there's this metaphor where it it's, it's like Saturn in the chart, and I'm writing about this right now for the lab, Saturn in the chart can indicate maybe where we tend to get rigid, right? Where we calcify, where we crystallize, where we become too strong so that we can't break and ultimately, though, make ourselves less flexible for what's to come, less flexible for the change that's inevitable. These secrets that Jupiter knows. It feels to me like every 20 years, Jupiter meets up with Saturn simply to remind him, <laughs> listen, you have to move. You've got to swing those hips, right? Jupiter rules Sa uh, Sagittarius and rules the hips. You have to sway. If you don't sway, you fall. And trees know this. Trees know this. They look pretty fucking solid, but they sway. And if they become too brittle with age or disease, they break. So there's always the need for both within. You cannot have one without the other. And the wheel of the year both changes everything and consistently moves in cycles so that it stays somewhat the same. You just have to pay attention. And we're taught to pay attention to the wrong things, right? We're taught to equate a relationship lasting forever as it being successful. Not true. I've had five-minute relationships with people in a grocery line that I feel like are very fucking successful. <laughs> and I highly recommend that you gather as many of those um, as you can with an open heart. And your mask on at this point. It's possible. It's possible to connect from a heart place 
And it's possible to expand our abilities within whatever containment is available for us right now. The containment we're feeling right now from the lockdown, from COVID being uh, a risk for those we love and to, to be responsible within that and try to expand what it is we believe is connection, what we believe is intimacy, right? Let's, let's not forget that we are more connected now than we have ever been. Despite what some people want to say that about technology and it kind of harming our connection, which everything is capable of. Everything. You know, a lot of people talk about neighborhoods. Oh, well, you know, let's live in a neighborhood close to. And yet some of those people don't know each other. It's not proximity that makes us close and in relationship. It's willingness. It's compassion. It's self-love, right? Because we have to love ourselves enough to share ourselves with others. In a true, intimate way. We have to love ourselves enough and trust ourselves enough to hold good boundaries so that we don't give too much time to those who would harm us or, or create too many... Um, uh, pathways, you know, like leaks in our energy so that others start to kind of control our behavior or our feelings. It's a real long karmic road, right? And that wheel of, I just felt like it was such a blessing. So I'm grateful to, to have the opportunity to share that message with you. All right. The next deck I used was the moon deck. And I pulled one card, but there were two that kind of were stuck together. And I decided that they both could come into, excuse me, into the altar today. And I, um, when I, when I pulled the first one, I said, oh yes, of course. And then I pulled the second one, which is very different. And I said, oh yes, of course. So the first card is number 20. Each of them have 20, which is so funny, 20. And 43, so vibration of 2 and vibration of 7. Um, the wheel is number 10, and the prayer is number um, 39. I want to add up all those numbers. That's what I want to do. Um, I will say that my intro was 11. Um, well, so this, this episode, 83, adds up to 11. And then my intro to that, as I was saying 83, I thought that makes 11. And I looked and I pushed stop on my recording and it was 11 seconds long, that intro. So there's that. Okay. So let's look at number 10 first. Number 10 has an affirmation that I'll read um, along with the, the whole piece. Oh, I'm sorry. It's number 20, not number 10. And this is from the Moon Deck by um, Erin Alley and illustrated by Andrea K. All right. Number 20's uh, theme is interconnected. With, with a steady mind, I am connected to our collective experience. It's a very Aquarian card, <laughs> by the way. 
Like a pebble tossed into a pond, our thoughts and actions create a ripple effect throughout the world. Everything from the mundane to the mystical is an opportunity to recognize the fundamental wholeness and interconnectedness of all beings everywhere. In honor of your own happiness and the imprint left on the collective experience at large, a steady, healthy mind is a powerful tool. In order to co-create the world we want for ourselves and for future generations, we must elevate our own thinking and see the goodness in, in those around us. The more we do this, the more we increase love and dissolve fear, which is desperately needing, needed in the world right now. There is a unifying force that runs through us, especially when we heal our hearts and mature our egos. As you commit to this practice as a way of being, you help to awaken the collective consciousness. We can come together in a world where peace, love, and abundance are accessible to all. This is the key to Aquarian age. And there's a Saturn piece in it too when we talk about maturity. Because, you know, Aquarius comes after Capricorn for a reason, right? Capricorn is where there's that maturity. And in Aquarius is where maturity matures, because maturity for maturity's sake, and how many times can we say maturity? You know, the responsibility of ourselves and what we do and the work we do, having responsibility for that is one level. Recognizing the collective care and that responsibility field as a community here as we hurl ourselves through the universe on an earth ship, right? is a whole nother level that's inclusive of that singular uh, personal maturity, right? And to accept a role within that evolutionary change that we're all seeing is what I think is being called into right now. So what are you initiating yourself into? It's for you to choose your own initiations so how do you want to show up in an interconnected world? You can't deny the interconnectedness. If you want to disassociate and stay away from society, of course that's your choice. But that kind of life does not really reflect reality. It can't when there are billions of people on this planet. Your elitism is somehow wrapped up in that, I would assert. And I'm willing to be wrong about that. However, I, I really do believe that we can't actually get free in isolation in our own cages that we make so that we can control our environment, right? Make sure it's pure and clean and doesn't have anything disturbing kind of in it. And yet, as we advocate for, you know, again, peace, love, and abundance to be accessible for all, how are we, how are we helping others get access to that peace, that sovereignty, right? How are we helping that all happen? And, it, you know, you don't have to do everything. You just have to be of service. So this is that ritual in this, the moon deck is be of service. When you read this mantra and description, which is 
with a steady mind, I am connected to our collective experience, right? It's just tapping into that field first. When you read the mantra and description, what images, thoughts, or feelings arrive, arise? Sit with this for a moment and allow yourself to feel what is true for you. Once clear, decide how you will volunteer your time and energy to the collective vibration and be of service. Put this into motion as soon as possible. Begin researching opportunities this week. So this is a call-in. How can you be of service to those around you? I understand there are many who don't have any more spoons, right? The spoon theory of invisible um, chronic illness. You wake up, you have a certain amount of spoons. If you give all of your spoons just to your family, know that that's enough. If you give all your spoons to yourself some days, maybe every day, know that that's enough. Okay? What you have spoons for is enough. And... And you owe it to yourself to have this mindset of being of service, even if it's of only to yourself and your own health, because that's what you can muster for that day. And you never know what the future will, will bring. Maybe it'll be another opportunity to be of service in ways that you had no idea were possible, right? I think these are surprising times. These are times to be surprised. Here are some ideas. Offer your skills at a school in need. Volunteer your time to bring joy to an elderly home. Join a committee that is fighting for human or animal rights. Gain a new perspective. Change your life and volunteer abroad. Create an event, music, or art that raises awareness and donate the proceeds to a planetary cause. These are this is a very short list of ways to be of service. I would say that being of service can be patience while others are impatient or even when others are patient. Leading that vibe <laughs> into the world. Learning heart math. My friend Suzette teaches heart math. Learning heart math allows me to walk into any space and get my electromagnetic field from my heart under, I don't want to say control because it's not controlled, it's orchestrating. It's being a conductor of energy rather than shutting it down and feeling isolated. I open my field up. And by doing this, it's alive. So no one can really, you know, dirty up my field or get, you know, I can't, negative shit can't attach to it in that way because I'm open. Um, rather, I feel as though my frequency is in conversation with others' frequencies. And it's almost as though I'm negotiating uh, peaceful terms with those in the room. And again, I do this in silence in the grocery line. And I do this in rooms where it's difficult um, because somebody feels differently than I do or others do. And there's, you know, un, un, unspoken um, animosity or something, right? I think we all have that in our life a little bit where we wish something were different. We wish somebody accepted us as we are instead of needing to change us. So to be in service to the field is a great gift 
that we can give. And sometimes that just has to do with us being in that compassionate mind with others. Um, and that compassionate mind extended towards ourselves as well. Okay. 43. So card number 43 is about our wild nature. And the theme is literally just the word wild. And the mantra is, or the affirmation, I unleash my wilderness, my wildness, and choose to be free. There is a primal and wild nature at the core of our being that demands to be heard. Sometimes we need to leap freely as the wind sweeps us into a vast forest. Other times we need to express our wildness within our community. Wolf has arrived to remind you of your unique wild spirit and your ability to choose how to express it. She also represents a balance between your own needs and the needs of your tribe. Wolves are free, fiercely loyal to their mates and live in socialized packs. They also, they're also strong individuals and curious explorers. Choose what freedom means to you and embark on a journey of personal discovery. As clear as the wolf's howl at the moon, learn, your, learn to hear your inner voice and unleash your wildness. The ritual is moon howling. Whether you're entering a phase of the lone wolf or a loyal yet exploratory wolf pack, your primal voice and passionate instincts want to be expressed. This ritual can be done solo or with others. The moon can be at any phase, yet it's especially powerful during a full moon and it's next level to howling during a full moon or a super blood moon or whatever, right? Dress like a wild goddess you are or show up however the fuck you want. Stand outside and gaze at her glow. Feel the earth beneath your feet. Repeat, I unleash my wildness and choose to be free and begin howling at the moon from the depths of your being. Move the air, awaken your soul, and unleash your voice. Howl your primal emotions, wild dreams, and curious passions. Let the powerful force within overflow. Then pause into a moment of stillness to feel and listen to all that arises. So this is um, beautiful. The way is, there is a Facebook group howling out howling at 8 p.m. or something like that if you're interested in support through howling. Re reclaiming that primal aspect is also part of this Aquarian time and I'll tell you why. Aquarius and Uranus are linked. Now Saturn was the traditional ruler of Aquarius which is why there's this affinity between um, uh that's, you know, uh, Saturn and Aquarius as a sign, right? And be, and why there's still that ma maturity involved. It's almost, um, and I heard, I, I heard someone call it even like retirement age, right? Like we're moving towards where we really do give zero fucks or we give all the fucks, right? We really care on a deeper humanistic level because we can see long enough and we remember long enough to understand what it's like to not truly be free within our heart, within our voice, right? As we grow older, hopefully we become more free in our expression because we recognize that 
the only way we show up in our life fully is fully. That's it. You're either fully present and fully alive and being yourself or you're not. And I think that we often, because of the, the, the kind of shaming of the ego and the trying to dissolve the ego um, without first appreciating what the ego gives, does, is to us, we can often forget ourselves in that pursuit of becoming whole. And all of a sudden, all we're doing is serving others, right? So these two cards together actually really help to recognize the primal nature of, you know, your heart wanting to live the life that it wants and to advocate for this freedom that comes from a deep space within you, the inner teacher. And this sense of steadying the mind around the collective energy so that you can tap in to what's needed from the collective too, right? We're tapping in to our inner self. What do I need? What is the collective needing? And this happens on a global scale. It happens in a familial scale. You know, if you have um, people that you normally organize life around, then you will know that a good relationship a feeling, a good feeling relationship. I wouldn't say a good relationship. A good feeling relationship, I think, includes people who recognize the needs, not just of their own needs, but the needs of the collective. So they may, for a moment, for a day, for an hour, put their own needs aside in order to serve the community. And of course, it's healthy to have boundaries around how much and how often and how that happens. But I believe that it is of great benefit for us to be at least able to tune into what the collective needs. And then if you can't do it, say, I see that the collective needs this thing. Even in work groups, right? Right now we need a project manager. Not saying like I'm volunteering to be the project manager. Oh, no, no, right? Like, Making sure we understand, say, you know, I may not have the solution or uh, know how to do this, but it feels like we need somebody to manage this project. Can we pull somebody else into this to help? Can we assign, um, you know, a collective project management that looks very, you know, that we, however these things work, we have to be able to call out what the collective needs and put it into the field because it's almost like posting a job, right? It's like, hey, the collective needs this. Is there anyone who's feeling called to do so? Here's the compensation. Here's the um, exchange. Here's the expectations, what have you. And as we kind of learn what, how we want to show up and how our needs get met and go from inner and ask ourselves, how can we serve? Even if we're just stating those facts of, here there's a gap in these roles that we need. That's of service. Stating the, stating the unsaid, talking through, helping someone verbally process, verbally processing what was just said in a conversation. What I'm hearing is you want this, you want that, you said this, you believe that. Is that right? Do I have that right? Even somebody who can in a group, in a collective, and this is what, you know, I mean, reporters do this, writers do this, artists do this. 
the commentary, the synergy of commentary that can come through when somebody is tapped into the collective is very powerful because then it shows us what we're broadcasting, right? We all have a frequency. We all have broadcasting something. What is it that we're collectively broadcasting? Which is why it's important to really look at the narrative of the U.S., the narrative of women, the narrative of black and brown people, the native, the the um, the narrative of of indigenous people, the the narrative of the U, you know the U.S. as as colonizer, the the narrative of the U.S. as colonized. There's all of these ways that we can look at collectives. They're all going to overlap. It is true. They overlap. So you might be part of a lot of different overlapping collectives and have a very unique synergistic belief or calling due to that. And it's needed. Right now, everyone's on board. We're calling, calling out everyone. It's a prayer. You know, coming back to that, you know, we're, you know, we're prostrating ourselves to the, the great future of our children and this earth, which are contingent on us getting low, getting soft, getting connected, tuning in to the service that we may provide uniquely as ourselves, right? Not saying yes out of judgment or obligation or shame. Showing up as ourselves and saying, I have this to offer. The wheel is turning. And activating that primal nature within in order to help that process is allowing our freedom to lead it, not our fear. And I just want to leave you again with this beautiful, beautiful invocation by Letitia Corona. I'm sorry, it's so Corsano. Her name is very small in these cards. Letitia or Letitia. Um, Cassano. Universal laws. Are you scared yet? You should be. You are going to know your place. I will take back what's mine and compost you. You will know my power. No one will be allowed to abuse or violate me anymore. I am not scared of my own darkness. I hold the power over myself. I demand justice. And I imagine the world saying this, the earth saying this. To all who have betrayed her, which is in part all of us. We are all connected and we're doing these worlds together. We're creating all of this together. I hope that you are spending some time processing. Thank you for being part of my process by allowing me to speak into this microphone and sit with these cards and their messages. Verbally processing is something that I deeply honor within myself and it's one of the reasons I offer this podcast but if it's been of benefit to you or you'd like to share I would really be honored 
And if you've really benefited from this and are looking for ways to support small business owners like myself, I do accept support through the Anchor app for this podcast. You can give as little as $1 one time or you can do a monthly offering and support my work. Every little bit helps and this podcast will always also be offered freely. I appreciate you and I hope that you will have a beautiful winter solstice. I'll talk to you next week.